Since 2014, Jennifer French has represented Oshawa at Queen's Park as a member of the NDP caucus. Jennifer was returned this past June. Oshawa is immediately adjacent to Curtis and Clarington, and Oshawa has an interest in what happens on the rural-urban frontier that is sweeping across Clarington. Jennifer joins me today to talk about a few of the local provincial issues that affect us, including the most recent pieces of legislation in the provincial legislature. Jennifer French, thank you for joining Exit 425 today. Well, Steve, thank you very much for inviting me. What do you believe is the real reason for the tack the government took with education workers this week? And what is the real reason behind measures that Michael Barrett called draconian in his interview on Exit 425? Was it just about keeping kids in class? Oh, I, I have not thought that it was about keeping kids in class uh, at any point, Steve. Um, I, I certainly can't speak to the motives of the progressive conservative government, but I know that a lot of folks were finding it um, you know, hard to accept that they were supposed to vilify the caring adults that love their kids, you know, to... Uh, to know that the secretary at your kid's school or, or custodian or education worker uh, is is going without the resources that they need or the respect that they deserve, that they might have to work two or three jobs to make ends meet, um, you know, that's, that's pretty hard to accept uh, for most of us in the community. And I think that, um, you know, when we look at what we all uh, understood during COVID and to where we are now, that what was needed was to have smaller class sizes, you know, so that kids could have stayed in class more. We had 27, uh, 27 weeks that kids weren't in school. And and I do think that that could have been ameliorated, could have been improved had, you know, had the government actually put health and and kids well-being first and foremost, you know, reduce those class sizes, um, you know, worked with, worked with the health officials to make a, to make it better. And I think, you know, on the on the heels of that, it it doesn't ring true when the government said that this was about the kids. You know, um, we we would like to see this government invest in public education. They have been starving it slowly. Uh, I think that this was really a created crisis. And um, and anyway, we're we're we were in uncharted territory, uh, and now here we are with kids are back in school. Parents, I think, are breathing a sigh of relief that the parties are back at the table and and we're back to, um, you know, we're back to them being allowed to have collective bargaining. Um, And hopefully this time it will be in good faith. Do you see what's happened in the last week uh, affecting what could potentially happen over the next few weeks and months with uh, the finalization of other education, especially teacher contracts? I think a lot remains to be seen. Uh, We've got a lot of folks now, I think far beyond, you know, those connected to the labor movement. I think that, you know, just your average neighbor and and parent are are watching things closely now um, because that was a really big hammer that the premier pulled out of thin air, um, you know, really not just overplayed their hand. That wasn't a hand they ever should have had, right? That uh, the ability to take away a charter right like that left a lot of folks dumbfounded. Um, will they, will they use that again? I don't know. I think that they, um, hopefully they, they learned a pretty important lesson about, you know, rights and democracy in Canada, but I don't know what we're in for in terms of bargaining. I, I am optimistic um, that they 
they might take a, hopefully that they approach bargaining um, with a more authentic, um, you know, look at com- more, more authentic and, and um, interested view so that they can come to a deal instead of being quite so threatening and bullying. Um, because what is in the best interest of, of kids uh, is, is classrooms that function, are schools that are healthy and, and the caring adults who look after them to be able to stay in those roles and not be forced to look elsewhere for employment like we saw with the unbelievably poorly paid education workers. To adopt a Machiavellian term, it appears the Ford government is trying to slay a few nobles. Uh, education contracts, municipal government control of their communities, and the green belt. Is this just being done with the hope that the voting public will forget before the next election in terms of the timing now? Or is it just because they have promises from the last election that they they have to pay off? I don't know, because when it comes to the motivations, I don't see what I would like to see. And that is, you know, um, decisions being made and, and money being invested to improve public infrastructure, public you know, services and systems. Um, in terms of promises, um, I mean, all of us are looking at what they, you know, what the, the backtracking that the premier has done when it comes to the green belt. And one of the biggest chunks of green belt that we're about to lose is in the Durham region, right? So we're going to get uh, an up close and, and personal look at, um, you know, at these environmental harms and, and the broken promises in our neck of the woods. But the promises I don't think are to Ontarians. I think the promises are to, you know, are, are to the big donors. You know, when you take a look at the 413 and the Bradford bypass and you look at um, who's cashing in on these, you know, green belt deals, um, it's not you and me. It's not our neighbors. Uh, it's not folks who want to have, you know, healthy communities. Um, it is folks who are going to make bank when it comes to um, like the the attack on environmental protection. So for example, this Bill 23, right, which is is the, you know, ostensibly a housing bill, but it allows the reclassification of, of protected wetlands. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Now we'll call them damp lands or the, you know, the, the lands formerly known as wet or moist meadows. I don't know. And I'm being a bit flip, but the point is, you know, if you own a big tract of land that had a wetland in it, formerly known as wetland, maybe you're never going to develop it, but it's now, what, tripled, quadrupled in price on paper. So you, you've just made a fortune and you've done nothing except reclassified to invest elsewhere. The housing isn't going to be built, um, you know, because of, because of those environmental attacks, you know, um, making it so municipalities aren't even allowed to consult aren't allowed to consult with conservation authorities anymore because of Bill 23. They can ask a conservation authority to put eyes on a, you know, on a a plan from a developer to make sure it's not going to be a flooding problem. Um, The conservation authorities used to provide input, nothing binding, by the way, but provide input. And that is now disallowed. Like these are, these are dirty things going on that have nothing to do with making uh, Ontario a better place for those who live here. But those, you know, those who stand to make stupid amounts of money, uh, it's it's Disneyland for them right now. Well, and I think that's reflected in who's uh, sponsoring the um, the public media campaign that you hear. I just was out in the car and, and uh, heard a, a radio spot promoting the, the 
build better, faster, bigger act. And, um, and it was sponsored by home builders associations. So I think what you're saying is certainly supported in, in that part of it, right? Well, and there are a lot of folks who, look, we need more housing. We do, but we need housing that is thoughtful. We we know that whether you are, are hoping to be a homeowner or whether you're, you know, you're a renter, you don't have protections. I mean, there are a lot of folks in our neck of the woods, um, you know, kind of East uh, East Oshawa and, and Clarington who, I mean, they've been waiting to have their homes built by, by developers who just, you know, aren't delivering um, and, and are maybe returning their initial deposit, but there's no house that goes with it. Like there's all sorts of shenanigans and nothing, none of that is being reined in. Right. So, so if, if the goal was really to ensure that people had safe and affordable housing, we would see different protections. We would see some, um, you know, some reining in of, uh, of unscrupulous development and those who are, are legitimately wanting to develop and work with, municipal, um, you know, planners and whatnot. That's great. We, we need that too. Well, we need that, right? Like we, but the green belt is the green belt for a reason. And, you know, you can, you can, um, I don't know. I I've heard all sorts of different government angles there, but at the end of the day, we are losing farmland at an unprecedented, uh, rate. We are going to need housing. Absolutely but perhaps intensification and actually working with the services that we currently have instead of this, you know, like mindless fascination with sprawl. Like it's just, it's not mindless. It's all profit driven. Right. But, but again, I digress, but Steve, it's a mess out there. And uh, I know John Henry, the, uh, the reelected mm-hmm. chair of Durham region um, on exit 425 has reiter- reiterated a couple times the idea that Durham is going to be developed, but 80% of it is protected because of the green belt. So now with this legislation, that obviously opens up some of that uh, 80% for further development. Yeah. And, and we do have the opportunity to, you know, intensify, make uh, good use of the services that are existing. I think municipalities are really going to feel it really going to um, hurt when it comes to the changes around development charges that Bill 23, you know, has introduced. Um, they're really siding with the developer and municipalities will not have that that revenue that um, matters, you know, that, that keeps our our infrastructure healthy and and um, you know our plans moving forward in our area. And we've got we've got a lot of growth out here, right? And so if if municipalities can't pay for it through the ways that they have been able to count on, well, Steve taxpayers, <laughs> like, um, we're going to see it in our property tax bill. And that's just the, that's just the provincial government shifting the cost to someone else so that they don't look like the bad guy. Right. And make a couple of sweet deals along the way. It's often what governments do at different levels. So, um, it gets them out of the, out of the red and into the black, but, uh, put someone else's back up against the wall. Exit 425 arose out of the buildup of Ick at Curtis Road in the 401, which is exit 425. On the Oshawa side of Darlington Provincial Park, the lakefront is protected. And here I invent a couple words. What can Clarentonians or Cortesians do to protect our side of the park, even from the housing development that, that seems imminent, or is there value in doing that? 
I'm learning a little bit from you about, you know, some of the uh, Clarington, um, you know, opportunities or priorities or, or challenges. Um, but I, I do know that when folks in a community uh, look around and see something that might not be healthy, um, that might not be in the best interest of, you know, kind of future generations, that I'd say it's incumbent on upon them to uh, connect with their elected officials, um, whether that's the municipal level to make sure that they know, uh, but also, I mean, provincially, federally, I'm not sure with some of those, some of those pieces, how they fit or who owns what, or what is protected by whom. But, you know, back to what I had said earlier about, well, in this case, Bill 23, but we, we've seen it as a theme um, about changing environmental protections or, or um, kind of changing the rules around development we're going to find a lot of the things that we uh, care about uh, or maybe take for granted in terms of, you know, green space or, or smart decisions for flood mitigation, for example. Um, we're going to have to keep a pretty careful eye on those things. And with our conservation authorities being so hobbled uh, that they're no longer allowed to, you know, uh, prioritize conservation, that's actually in this bill. Um, we, we may find ourselves up a creek uh, without a paddle and, and a very flooded creek, if, if there still is a creek, right? So I'm not sure that I'm answering your question, but it's there's a lot of things that have changed quickly. Um, and I think that community members do need to ask questions, uh, that they do need to follow along as best they can, especially if they have a, you know, a favorite part of their their community or their area, and they want to make sure that it will continue to be protected. I would, I would say, assume nothing right now with the the changes, um, and talk to local councillors or, or members of provincial parliament or members of parliament to find out what the plans are. Um, yeah, there's almost too many too many things going on. It's it's hard for folks to even know where to look right now. Um, but if there are things that matter or community priorities, then I would say, uh, don't. Don't look away. You know, we got to keep our eyes on on the future, frankly, um, and the health of our communities. There has been a, a long, drawn-out municipal process, and certainly the planners are working at it in terms of the uh, municipal waterfront park, but it is so slow-moving, and there are so many hmm, slow-moving parts that, um, you know, it's difficult to know where it is and just who's having what influence where. And so... I appreciate your advice and, you know, time for Clarentonians and Cortesians, <laughs> that's a new term, to get involved and uh, and get their voices heard. So, Well, and, and perhaps perhaps also to make sure that their questions are answered, right? Like it's uh, it's important to put things in writing and get things in writing to, uh, to be clear. Um, because I, I mean, I'm not quite your neck of the woods, right? So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm not up on your... On the, on the proposed, you know, waterfront development or waterfront park or what that might look like. Um, but your municipal council should or, or will. Is there a battle in the Conservative caucus between a more vigilant toss-the-tables faction and a more moderate but still quite conservative group? Oh, I have no idea. So, you know, in the Durham region, there are seven members of provincial parliament, uh, seven of us that are responsible for the Durham region. Um, I am the only one that is not a, a PC 
party member. So in terms of what goes on in the back rooms, I have no idea. There are a lot more, you know, folks uh, than ever before that are, have been made into parliamentary assistants and are, you know, uh, maybe closer to knowing what's, what's going on there or, or not. I don't, I don't know what they do. Um, but I, I watched with the, this, you know, Bill 28 and the, you know, um, that it, the, the very quick passage of that bill that had us there at five in the morning to debate. And I listened to, you know, my colleagues across across the legislature talk about this. And it was a lot of talking points, you know, and it wasn't a lot of, uh, it didn't seem like the members on the other side had listened to their communities. It was a lot of information out. So I'm, I am hopeful um, that they will answer the phone, answer the emails, um, do their best to have an understanding of what community priorities are. Uh, and reflect that. I have no idea. It, but in terms of their their decisions as a as a caucus, um, I just see a lot of uh, damage to our public institutions, right, and public systems, and the things that we as Canadians uh, care about. You know, healthcare, long term care, compassionate care. We're seeing uh, created crises. We're seeing you know that. Um, really violent underfunding to ensure that, uh, that they are, are hobbled. Um, and then, then, you know, you, you're starting to see that not unexpected call from some of those, those folks and, and kind of that ideological group that is calling for the privatization of, uh, our public services. And I think that no one is surprised, but that seems very clear, you know, to underfund, um, underinvest, create a crisis, undermine, and then I hope they don't ever get to the sell-off for parts. But that that feels like where we're headed with healthcare, possibly education, you know, long-term care. All we've already seen that, and you know, green belt now. Like it's it's anything that we, you know, for the public good is now kind of more for the for the profit potential, which is too bad, right? You are the MPP for Oshawa. Um, what is your biggest concern for Oshawa going forward? Um, I would like to see, I would like to see folks be able to kind of put one foot in front of the other um, and and trust that their services are there. Uh, whether that's being able to get an ambulance when they call, get in and have a, a bed at the hospital, right? Have access to healthcare, a roof over their head that they can trust uh, that they can afford. Um, and whether that's parents sending their kids to school or whether that's, you know, students in the community who are wondering what comes next. I'd like to see stability in Oshawa, I guess, but across the province. So affordable, safe housing, uh, compassionate uh, and funded public services. Um, that's something that people, you know, we, we forget that we, not forget, we realize how much these services matter when we need them, right? When we go to the hospital, we expect to have care. And now when folks are going and, and they can't uh, access that that care that was there before, um, that's, that's really the wrong direction. And so what I'm hoping for Oshawa is that we can see um, folks come together and support each other, but also um, 
reap the benefits of those strong public services uh, that keep people healthy and well, uh, that keep them working in the community, having what they need. Um, and we do have a lot of really positive things going on uh, in the community and wonderful neighbors and, and community initiatives. Um, but a lot of folks still struggling with, uh, you know, with, with just the basics. Like it's, got, it's gotten so much harder um, to, to afford uh, to live in in our community, we're seeing more challenges like they have in Toronto. Uh, so I'm I I would like things to be able to you know keep moving forward, but that does require government investment and accountability. And and I will keep doing my part, uh, keep doing my part to ensure that we do have those support systems in place for people. And the good news for Clarington is that if Oshawa's getting that, then probably Clarington's getting that too. And those are all things that we all need, right? So Well and, and Durham region is kind of a is a, a big community. You know, we have our own town and city banners and, mm-hmm. and and whatnot and a bit of, you know, some boundaries, but across in the Durham region we appreciate much of the same things and we we share a lot of the same services and, and friends and and you know we we do want what's best for each other. So we're, if we can all kind of row in that same direction, um, we all benefit. Excellent. Thank you so much. Jennifer, thank you for joining me today on Exit 425. Thank you for having me, Steve. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exit 425. Please like and subscribe on whatever platform you use. Our mission is to provide substantial information and education that goes where you want. Exit 425 is a production of Studio 38 Audio, copyright 2022. My name is Steve Ray. If you have questions or would like more information about Exit 425, join our Exit 425 Facebook group or email me at exit425401 at gmail.com. <laughs>